You're listening to the Wellspring Podcast. I'm Caleb Williams, the worship leader and prayer room coordinator of Wellspring Community. This week's message was given by Pastor David Williams. It's about Joseph's obedience and how his yes changed history. In much the same way, our obedience bears fruit that can impact the future. We pray this message encourages and edifies you to say yes as well. Enjoy. If ever there was a model man who lived up to the kind of ideal every woman would want in a man, it was Joseph. Uh, Matthew describes him as righteous, which is short for saying Joseph was the poster child for what every Jewish family with a son was trying to produce, and every Jewish family with a daughter was hoping to find. A, A perfect gentleman. Joseph didn't just know how to give the right answers. Joseph knew how to live the right answers. Honesty, integrity, honor. That was Joseph. It doesn't specifically say it in the Bible, but I kind of get the idea that when his engagement to Mary was announced, there were a lot of other girls and not a few parents who were very disappointed about the one who got away. Joseph and Mary were a perfect match with every reason to have the highest of hopes for their future together. They had done it right. They followed all the rules. They saved themselves for each other. Young people, listen, it really is possible to do that. Purity isn't just an old-fashioned idea that isn't, that, that isn't possible in our culture today. It really is possible by the grace of God. And it's still the expectation that God has for every person until they get married. That's what Joseph and Mary had done, which is one of the reasons it was so devastating when Mary broke the news that she was pregnant. How could this be? Joseph was crushed. But in his brokenness, he remained righteous. Isn't that interesting? That's one of the ways to actually measure how strong a person's character really is. Extreme adversity or extreme blessing can reveal a lot about what's in a person. So when he found out that Mary was pregnant, Joseph had several options, which varied greatly in their levels of vindication. If he'd wanted to, he could have made a public, a public spectacle of Mary. He could have easily seen to it that there wasn't one ear in Nazareth who hadn't heard what had happened to him. I mean, he could have started a smear campaign to ruin a reputation and dash any hope of ever having found another husband. I mean, G, uh, Joseph could have actually retaliated. That's what some people do when they've suffered an injustice. There are a lot of people who, when hurt, they will tell anyone who will listen, painting the ugliest picture that they can of the person who did them wrong. Joseph could have put an ad in the paper or put up a billboard. If he, you know, if he lived today, he could have posted his story on Facebook. And I know you've never read any of those stories, right? He could have put his story on Facebook. He could have told about how he saved himself from marriage and he'd never been anything but a total gentleman only to find out that his bride-to-be wasn't who he thought she was. But Joseph wasn't vindictive. He was righteous. 
and he resolved to take the highest road possible. He determined to put her away quietly, divorce her, and move on. They had a little different setup than we do. It was called divorce instead of just a breakup because the level of commitment involved with an engagement in the first century was as binding as marriage. So his mind was made up. His plan was more than fair. It was righteous. Divorce her, but keep it on the down low. That's really not a bad approach, no matter what the circumstances or betrayal or unfaithfulness or injustice. Take the high road, keep the publicity to a minimum, avoid the temptation to be vindictive. There would probably be a lot more healthier people in the world if more of us just simply learned to let it go and move on. That's what Joseph was going to do. That was his plan, and it was righteous. It's a good thing the voice of God came from an angel. Because if it hadn't, Joseph would have never believed it. No matter how desperately he wanted to believe Mary, the idea of her getting pregnant without having stepped out on him was outlandish. It was a scandal then as much as it is a scandal to today. I think it would have taken a messenger for, from God for any of us to believe her too. What God asked righteous Joseph to do is crazy. It's crazy then. It's crazy now. God tells him to stay with a pregnant fiance. Don't divorce her. I can hear Joseph now. What? I mean, righteous men don't stay with pregnant fiancés. If anyone ever had a legitimate reason to divorce, it was Joseph. Divorcing her was the right thing to do. And divorcing her quietly was the righteous thing to do. But that's not what God was telling him to do. Now, I have a feeling that if more folks who'd already made up their mind about divorce took a little bit of time to hear what God had to say about the situation, we'd have fewer divorces today. Just saying. I've seen it too many times. A decision is made, a mind is made up, and it doesn't matter what anyone else in the world says, they're not going to listen. Even if the voice of disagreement they hear is actually the voice of God. And if you're struggling in marriage, I just simply want to encourage you to don't give up so quickly. Let's be honest about this. God was asking Joseph to do something that really didn't make any sense. Has God ever asked you to do something in your life that really didn't make any sense? <laughs> How did you respond? I don't think God's practice of asking people to do crazy things stopped with Joseph. I'm one, a testimony of that. <laughs> He may not have asked any of us to marry a fiancé who claimed to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But there are times our first reaction when hearing what God is saying is, I'm sure. I, you know, actually, I am not sure. 
if I'm hearing you right, because God, I'm sorry, that doesn't really make any sense to me. <laughs> the story is told of a church that was putting on a Christmas program. 15 minutes before it was time to start, a frantic director came to the pastor and he said, he's not going to do it. Who's not going to do it? Joseph. He says he's not going to do it. The pastor went to find him and sure enough, Joseph was hiding in the classroom and that's what he said. And the pastor said to him, you don't have to. I mean, God doesn't make Joseph do anything. But how will Mary feel? I don't like Mary. <laughs> the fear had seized him. Eventually, with some affirmation, he went to join the other kids and the program happened. But for a while, there were a lot of questions as to whether Joseph was going to join the story or not. You know, the words spoken to that boy were true. You don't have to do it. God didn't force Joseph to play a part in this story of the incarnation. God invited him. That's how God operates. God doesn't force our obedience. God invites it. That's what God did for Joseph. And then God assured him it was going to be all right. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Verse 20. You know, Joseph is not the only one in the Christmas story afraid. Let's look for a moment at Mary. To the, and, I, and I'd like uh, to listen, uh, for us to listen to the poet storyteller Max Lucado share these incredible so, uh, insights in light of her story. So if you have your Bible and you want to look, look at Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 30. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then verse 34, it says, Mary said to the angel, well, how in the world is this going to happen? How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to invite you to listen to these words from Max Lucado's little book, In the Manger. This is a chapter entitled, Christ in You. What must it have been like for Mary to carry God in her womb? The virgin birth is much more than a Christmas story. It's a picture of how close Christ will come to you. The first stop on his itinerary was a womb. Where will God go to touch the world? Well, look deep within Mary for an answer. Better still, look deep within yourself. 
What he did with Mary, he actually offers to us. He issues a Mary-level invitation to all his children. If you'll let me, I'll move in. Proliferating throughout Scripture is a preposition that leaves no doubt, and the preposition is in. Jesus lives in His children. To His apostles, Christ declared, I am in you, John 14, 20. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, Ephesians 3, 17. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. And the sweetest invitation from Christ, listen here, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me, Revelation 3.20. Christ grew in Mary until he had to come out. Christ will grow in you until the same occurs. He will come out in your speech. He will come out in your actions. He will come out in your decisions. Every place you live will be a Bethlehem, and every day you live will be a Christmas. You, like Mary, will deliver Christ into the world. God in us. Have we sounded the depth of this promise? You're a modern-day Mary. Even more so. He was a fetus in her, but he's a force in you. He's called the Holy Spirit. He will do what you cannot do. I, now, now, this is a great analogy. Imagine a million dollars being deposited in your checking account. To any observer, you look the same except for that goofy smile, but are you? Not at all. With God in you, Church, listen, you have a million resources that you did not have before. <laughs> Can't stop drinking or worrying? Christ can, and he lives within you. Can't forgive the jerk, forget the past, or forsake your bad habits? Christ can, and he lives in you. Paul knew this. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me, Mightily, Colossians 1.29. Like Mary, you and I are indwelt by Christ. Find that hard to believe? How much more did Mary? The line beneath her picture in the high school annual did not read, aspires to be the mother of God. <laughs> no, no one was more surprised by this miracle than she was. And no one was more passive than she was. God did everything. Mary didn't volunteer to help. What did he... What did she have to offer advice? From my perspective, a heavenly choir would add a nice touch. Yeah, right. She offered no assistance. She, she offered no resistance. She could have said, who am I to have God in my womb? I'm not enough. Or I've got other plans. I don't have time for God in my life. Instead, Mary said, behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Luke 1.38. If she is our measure, well, God seems less interested in talent and more interested in trust. Unlike her, we tend to assist God, assuming our part is as important as His. Or we resist, thinking that we're too bad or we're just too busy. Yet when we assist or resist, 
we miss God's great grace. We miss out on the reason that we were placed on earth to be so pregnant with heaven's child that he lives through us, to be so full of him that we could say with Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20. God doesn't force our obedience. God invites it. He invites Mary to become the God-bearing mother of the Son of God, and he invites Joseph to become Jesus' adoptive father. They could have resisted or assisted with their natural minds, their ideas, their abilities, or they could respond in faithful trust and obedience. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, Joseph. Verse 20. She's telling you the truth, Joseph. She hasn't been unfaithful. This baby is actually from the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son who will be the Savior, and you will need to name him Jesus. Now, I know you're scared, but don't be afraid to do what I'm asking you to do. Now, before we run off to Joseph's obedient response in this story, I'd like us to take a moment to consider this message of the angel of the Lord and the word of the Lord that confirms the message. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's talking about the prophet Isaiah. This is found in chapter 7 of Isaiah. I think it's verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The name Jesus actually comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh will save. Thus, the name of Jesus actually anticipates the salvation that he's going to provide. He will save us from our sins. We must remember in a rise in uh, Jewish anti-Semitism in North America that our Savior is a Jewish man. We mustn't forget that in the Christmas story. My professor of New Testament helps us understand the significance of the names of Jesus and Emmanuel. He writes, the names Emmanuel and Jesus actually point to an important truth about the Christian life. The very purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to save us from our sins as his name implies. However, being saved is not something mechanical or separate from our daily lives. The name Emmanuel tells us that the purpose of our being saved is so that we live in personal relationship with God. Salvation is stripped of its essential meaning and purpose if we do not live day by day experiencing God with us. <laughs> so many people who say they're saved, their lives are incongruous with the Christian life every day. Have you ever met that person? Well, I'm a believer. I've been saved, you know, and all this. But then they act just so contrary to the will of God. <laughs> oh, you have been around that person. Oh, you've experienced that this week, have you? Uh, this is what it means to be saved from our sins. It's to live every day of our lives as though God... We are experiencing His presence with us every day through the grace of the Holy Spirit. 
The angel of the Lord releases the message of the Lord and the prophetic word confirms the message of the Lord. And I love prophecy. And I believe that you and I are to prophesy. But it should line up with the word of truth, the word of God, if we're going to prophesy anything. Jesus, our Savior, is Emmanuel. Now back to Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She's telling you the truth, Joseph. She hasn't been unfaithful. This baby's from the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son who will be the Savior, and you need to name him Jesus. Now, I know you're scared, but don't be afraid to do what I'm asking you to do. For Joseph, who had been determined, he had already decided, he'd already made up his mind to do the righteous thing. There's an even more righteous thing to do here than to simply put her away quietly. In this angelic encounter, righteousness is redefined. And it's going to be redefined by Jesus himself throughout this gospel story. <laughs> Talk about changing your religious paradigm, blowing your righteous bubble. Real righteousness is not just about doing the legal or the noble or even the compassionate thing. Righteous, real righteousness, according to Jesus and according to this gospel writer in Matthew, according to the Lord, is all about obeying God. Righteousness meant a willingness to keep listening to God even after his mind was already made up. When's the last time God changed your mind about anything? How hard would God have to work to redirect you if you had already had your mind made up? I mean, Joseph had a righteous course of action all mapped out. But when he heard from God, he had a decision to make. Do I do the righteous thing or do I do the righteous thing? Obedience positioned Joseph to be a part of God's plan of salvation for the entire world in something that he would have never dreamed of doing. Obedience does that for us, you know. It really does. It positions us to be in on what God is doing in the world. And if we're not careful, we might just find ourselves getting in on some pretty God-sized stuff. We never know where obedience might take us, beloved. In spite of all the reasons that he could have come up with not to do what God was asking him, we read in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and Joseph named him Jesus. Why is that so important? Because in first century Palestine, Judaism, that meant that Jesus became the adoptive father and in that sense became the biological father for everybody else and the rightful heir, the son of Joseph. Which means the way Matthew's gospel begins is with a genealogy. Jesus ends up in the genealogy because of Joseph's 
obedience. You know, one of the one of the reasons I think we have this story is such a critical part of our faith is because righteous Joseph chose obedience even when he'd already had his mind made up. He trusted God when God said to him, don't be afraid. You know, Christmas is really a great time for hearing God's don't be afraid. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Preachers tell us that God says this phrase some 352 times in the Bible, which is a don't be afraid message for each day for you and me. You can think of it that way. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, I wonder if God's been saying something crazy to you lately. And today He wants you to hear, don't be afraid. The Lord says, don't be afraid to marry. The Lord says, don't be afraid to Joseph. And the Lord is saying to us today, don't be afraid, beloved. Even if your mind was already made up to do something else, something that made more sense, something that was right, you're pretty sure God's got another idea. And if so, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to stay pure. Don't be afraid to carry Jesus to your workplace. Don't be afraid to start a Bible study at school. Don't be afraid to ask someone to be an accountability partner. Don't be afraid to stay married. Don't be afraid to forgive him or her. Don't be afraid to stop talking about it, whatever it is. It may be a past hurt that's been inflicted upon us. Don't be afraid to say yes to Jesus. The angel of the Lord is saying us today, dear people of God, don't be afraid.